Good morning. I'm glad you made it here. Maybe you guys are all the wise ones who came early before the snow got here. And welcome to all you who are watching this online right now. Maybe you're the wise ones who stayed home. We'll find out soon. I want to just reiterate something that Jolene just mentioned in the announcement video, and that is we do have services coming up next weekend, Christmas weekend. It's always an amazing time here at Connection. It's also a time there are people in your world who maybe want a connection with God. They don't know what to do. If you are talking to someone, you can just say to them, hey, if you're looking for a place to celebrate Christmas, you're welcome to come to my church. We welcome anybody here. And then think about next Sunday night. Obviously, we have the Jingle Jam coming up. It's the lighthearted, joy-filled, meaningful time that you can come back. And it's different than Sunday morning, and we just want everybody to be here for that. So we've been in this series, Believe. We've done actually 30 weeks this year. And if you missed any of the three sections of Believe, you can go back and look on the church website and you can see that. And so what we've been looking at over the course of this is that what I believe and what I do shapes who I become. And in this uh, first section, we talked about how the beliefs that we have in our heart really do influence how we live our lives. And that God wants us to take the beliefs that we have that maybe are in contradiction to what he says is actually truth and learn to replace them with his truth. And you may think about it this way. Who you are right now is already as a result of what you've believed up to this point. And God wants us to see in those places where what we believed isn't necessarily true and when it's in conflict with reality. And he wants us to replace those with his truth. And it can completely transform your life. And in this last section, the belief series, virtues, over the last 10 weeks, we've looked at what are those things that God wants to bring into our lives? What kind of people does he want us to become? He wants us ultimately, in the, the Bible language, he wants us to become like Jesus. We want to think like Jesus and act like Jesus so we can become like Jesus. So what does that mean, that we want to be like Jesus? I always think of it, my first thought is always, so if we have to go around wearing a robe and we have to grow a beard. Good luck with that, ladies. Is that what it means to look like Jesus? Now, obviously it's not. It really is talking about what, what kind of a life did Jesus live here on earth? What were the virtues that characterized his life? Things like love, and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, hope. Uh, these are the things that characterized his life, and we want to develop those virtues in our life with God's help. So when speaking of looking like Jesus or looking like someone else, uh, MIT Technology Review recently published a study that asked the question, why do people who try to look like no one else end up looking like each other? It's the hipster effect. People who say, I don't want to look like anybody else, so I'm going to grow my beard a certain way, and I'm going to wear a certain kind of clothing, I'm going to ride a certain kind of bike, they all look exactly alike. And the hipsters all say, no, we don't, but yes, you do. And uh, part of this uh, study was just saying, why is that? Why is it that people who try to be unique end up pooling together? And then this uh, magazine article, they also used a picture of a hipster, which was interesting. As soon as it was published, somebody emailed MIT and said, hey, you used my picture. I didn't give you permission to use my image. And so I, he said, first of all, your article was poorly written, and he had a whole bunch of snarky things to say about the article and, and clickbait. And, and secondly, of course, I'm talking to my attorney. I am pursuing legal remedies for this. So the editor of the MIT Technology Journal immediately did his homework and then responded to the guy who had emailed him. I'm paraphrasing this, but basically he said, okay, thank you for responding to us, Mr. Hipster. Number one, we would never use an image without permission. We checked with Getty where we received the image from. The model signed a release, and guess what? You're not the model. Number two, thank you for proving the point of the article, which is hipsters all look alike. You look alike so much you can't even tell yourselves apart. You don't even know if it's you in a picture or not. And there you go. Case in point. So uh, it, there's that little expression. I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. But haven't we all been guilty of what that guy was guilty of, making ourselves 
all, it's all about me and it's not really at all. It's putting ourselves in the center of a situation. I think that's why the virtue we're looking at today, this final virtue of this whole series, is humility, why it's so important, because we do have this tendency to make it all about us. And here's the thing that we're up against culturally. Humility is not actually considered a bad thing in America right now. You might say, well, where's the problem with that? So like last week when we talked about gentleness, that does go against the cultural flow if you try to be a gentle person. We're in the age of rage. We're in the cancel culture. Everybody just loves to be mad about everything and to try to shame other people and slam other people and do this epic fail for other people. But when we talk about humility, it's actually very popular right now. And again, you might be thinking, well, isn't that a good thing if Americans think it's okay to be humble? Yeah, the problem is we want to appear humble without actually being humble. We just want to have that veneer. How many times have you heard somebody famous say, I am humbled and honored. I'm humbled and honored to stand before you tonight and receive this award. I'm humbled and honored that I have now 15 million followers on Instagram. That's not humble. That's a humble brag, right? I'm, I'm humbled and honored that my album is now number one on Spotify for 15 weeks in a row. I'm humbled and honored that I was able to win this game for my team and score so many touchdowns. I'm, I'm humbled and honored that you laughed at my jokes. Are you, though? Are you humbled and honored, or are you honored and proud of yourself? There's a little bit of that going on underneath, isn't there? Yeah, kind of like this is a verse in the Bible, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. That sounds great, but who wrote Numbers? Moses! So says Moses, the most humble man on earth. I actually think that somebody wrote that in after he passed away, maybe Joshua, his young protege, but uh, I, I think that sometimes it brings up a good question for us to think about. The moment you realize you're humble, are you humble anymore? What does it mean to be humble, to, to have not just a veneer of humility, but to actually be humble? And uh, how do you become humble? The one thing, if you're taking notes, you can just jot this down as a thought. Uh, humility is not the same thing as humiliation. I'm not standing up here advocating that you have to become a doormat any more than when we talked about gentleness last week that I said you don't have to let people walk all over you. And being a, a humble person doesn't mean that you never have an opinion. It doesn't mean you can never accept a compliment. It doesn't mean that you have to think poorly of yourself. Uh, you can't speak up for yourself. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you. I like how C.S. Lewis described this in his book, Mere Christianity, when he said humble people don't think less of themselves or they don't... Uh, yeah, they don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less, less often. Uh, in reality, my contention would be to be a humble person, you have to have a truly strong sense of who you are. It's only when you know who you are and uh, what you can do that you can truly put yourself in second place. A humble person doesn't need to arrogantly self-assert and self-promote. They don't have to conceitedly push themselves to the spotlight because they're very confident in who they are and what they can do. And it's just not a thing where they have to make sure everybody else knows it as well. And even for a Christian to be humble, there's just something very powerful about knowing that at the core of who I am, God thought that I was worth uh, sending his son for, dying for, uh, and adopting into his family. And those are your identity that no one can take away from you. And you don't have to worry about being prideful and making sure that everybody knows what you've done and what you can do. Because at the end of the day, you know what God thinks about you. And that identity is so essential to that. Now, Jesus, I think about him, he was the, the wisest and most powerful person who ever lived. And uh, he did not lack for self-esteem at all. 
Clearly, Jesus understood exactly who he was, what he could do, what his mission on earth was, and yet he was always humble. I want you to listen to how Jesus described himself. And this is Matthew 11, 28 and 29. It's up on the screen if you want to read it there or just see it. It says, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. And he goes on, he says, it's not on the screen, but he says in verse 30, my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So it's an invitation to, to anyone who feels beat up by life, anybody who feels beat up by religion and by expectations other people put on you, from Jesus just to say, hey, come to me, put my yoke on you. That's just a way of saying, let me be your teacher for a while. Because I'm a good teacher. I'm really gentle and I'm very humble. And you'll find actual rest. Maybe for the first time in your life, you can just go, I'm going to be okay. That's what Jesus offers to anybody. And I don't know what you think of when you think of God. Maybe you think he's just about this close to letting you have it. Maybe you think of him as angry all the time. Maybe you think of him as disappointed or aloof. You have to factor this in. Jesus is literally God in human form. And Jesus says, I'm humble and I am gentle. And uh, just to remind you what this means, if we think about Jesus or anyone else, gentleness that we talked about last week is I have power that I will use for you, not against you. Gentleness is literally power under control. And then we talk about humility. Humbleness says I have position and privilege that I will use for you, not for myself. And Jesus is both of these things. And he wants to teach us how to become like this. Humility is a virtue maybe that you want to embrace. This is our key idea for today. To become a humble person like Jesus, I need to choose to esteem other people above myself. That's the pathway. Jesus literally did this. This is, as we are in Christmas season, this is the story of Jesus at Christmas that the God of the universe humbled himself. It's the story of Easter that Jesus, being in human form, gave up his life. This is all what Jesus was about, humility. He humbled himself to become one of us, to live among us and die for us and rise again for us and to promise us that we will be rescued from this life and from our sin and that he will give us a hope of eternity, that he will adopt us into his family, that God will say, I'll be your father. Jesus says, I'll be your brother. I'm not ashamed of you all. I want you to be part of my family. And I want us to follow that example. In fact, the Bible uh, in Philippians, which is written by a Christian leader named Paul, tells us that Jesus is actually the example we need to follow if we want to become humble people. So I do encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to turn to that. If you don't, it's okay. If you've got the Bible app, you can pull that up on your phone. Uh, this is Philippians chapter 2. And as I said, the Apostle Paul just points us to Jesus' example. Let's go ahead and follow along with his teaching here. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. And don't only look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Uh, this is just the, the teaching that Paul has. He's learned this from watching Jesus. And he says, if, if you want to be humble, humble people are deferential rather than demanding. You can jot that down if you want. That's what he said in verse 3. Uh, be humble. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. And when he wrote that word selfish, he originally, the word was literally, don't pursue selfish ambition. Don't be selfish. Don't just carry self-interest. It's uh, an idea of competition. 
don't know if you grew up with brothers and sisters, but if you did, you probably grew up with competition. There's one piece of pie left, and I will make sure that it gets onto my plate. Uh, the, the idea of selfish ambition even goes a step further. I'm going to make sure that my team wins no matter what I have to do, no matter what things I have to make happen, no matter what I have to break. We're going to, rules that we have to bend, we're going to win. And a, a self-interested person who's competitive also says, my way or the highway. We're not going to do anything unless it's what I want to do. I don't care whose feelings I hurt. I'm going to get my way. Except is that really what you want to do? Is that really the way you want to live your life and, and uh, manage your relationships? Just leave a trail of broken people behind you so you can be right all the time and get your way? There's another verse that Paul wrote. He wrote this to a different group of Christians in Ephesians 4, 2. He said, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. There may be like 99% of the time you might be right. Maybe 100% of the time you're right. But is there any room within your spirit to allow some generosity towards other people who aren't always right? Are there times when you can just allow somebody to be wrong? Can you humbly and gently defer to someone else in that moment and not always get your way? Can you let someone else win? Can you let someone else choose sometime? Can you let somebody tell a story the way they want to tell it, even if they're telling it wrong? <laughs> That's hard. Like when your friend or your brother, or your sister, or your spouse is telling a story and, and they do this room, and you're like, no, it was Tuesday. No, it was the red car. No, it was. Just let them tell the story how they want to tell it and be wrong. It's okay. And uh, this is what it means to esteem others above yourself. It's what it means to not just have selfish interest. It means that I'm not only going to look out for myself, I'm going to look out for you. And that's the heart of humility. That's another thing I would point out to you. Humble people consider others better than themselves. It's literally what Paul said, verse 3. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. In other words, you want to act like the other person is more important than you which may be making some warning bells go off in your mind, like, Brian, are you really trying to tell me that I have to act like and, and maybe even say that people are better than other people? Aren't we all inherently equal? Are we all on equal footing? Um, and I, th I think what I'm saying here is you want to make decisions as if you, you believed that that person was better than you. And here's where you're going to say, you know, like, I just don't think that's right. I just don't think that people are better than other people. I don't think we should do that. You said I didn't have to become a doormat to be humble or gentle. I'm not saying, and Paul is not saying, that people are actually better than other people. It's just contextual. I appreciate something that Pastor Andy Stanley down from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, said about this. Where he actually asked a question. He says, have you ever been in a context where you weren't the most important person in the room? If you've ever been to a wedding and you weren't the bride or the groom, you've been in a place where you weren't the most important person in the room. Do you notice if you weren't the bride or groom, nobody stood up and turned around and watched you when you walked in? They didn't talk about what you were wearing. And if they did, you were doing something wrong. <laughs> Cringy. Because, you know, people don't stand in line to talk to you at the wedding unless you're the focus and the center of attention. In that context, you weren't the most important person in the room. If you were the, one of the parents of the bride and groom, you may have thought you were, <laughs> but you're not. In that moment, it's all about them. If you've ever been to a book signing, people stand in line to talk to the author and get him. Nobody's ever asked me to autograph their book. I guess I got to write one first. Uh, you know, when you go to a medal a ceremony or a, a somewhere where somebody's being honored, maybe a dignitary or somebody who um, did something valorous, Again, you're not the most important person in the room in that moment because the honor and the respect and the focus is on that person. And that's how it should be. And what Paul is just saying is, don't make yourself the center of every situation you walk into. You can defer. You can treat people sometimes around you as though they are more important than you. You know how to do this. This is something we all do. In that moment, the, the respect is the key thing. 
So learning to be humble like Jesus is simply looking at people and saying, in this moment, in this relationship, in our marriage, uh, in our work team, I'm just going to pretend like you're more important than I am, and I'm going to think, what would I do if in that moment I wanted to show you respect, and I'm going to do that? Can you imagine what that would do for your relationship if you did that? If you deferred instead of demanded your way, if you treated that other person? And you might be thinking, okay, but I get you, Brian, but somebody will take advantage of that. Well, yeah, of course they will. That's humanity in a nutshell. It's going to be one way sometimes if you do this. It's not going to always come back to you. You may only be the only person in the relationship who's the one who's saying, I'm treating you better than you treat me. But are you going to do this because it only comes back to you? Is that the only thing we're going to do? If it only comes back to me, then that's the only time that I will ever do anything that I should. Or are we going to take a cue from Jesus who says, I'm going to give and I'm going to put you first whether or not it comes back to me. That's what mature people do. I'll tell you this, humility is the thing that kills the weeds of selfishness in relationships. And selfishness just chokes a relationship right out. I mean, this stuff just cuts it off right at the, the core. And here's something else I want you to think about. And Paul pointed this out in verse 4. Humble people care about others as much as they care about themselves. He said, don't only look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And if you're a parent, you have done this. I'm looking around a lot of your parents. All of us have had parents, though, and they have all done that for us because the evidence of that is that we're alive right now, right? Like, is there a parent in the world who wants to play shoots and ladders? You want to play go fish for the umpteenth time? Yeah. I'm sorry to burst somebody's bubble, but hey, no, we don't. I'm the happiest day of my life was as my girls got a little bit older and we could play some, you know, a little more grown-up games than, you know, Barbie. And no, please don't tell my daughters I said that. Sorry, Abby. I love you. It is a thing, though, to think about. We, uh, we've done this if we're parents. If you care about somebody, you've done this. You have uh, cared about somebody as much as you would care about yourself. You've put somebody else's interests ahead of your own. You've done things for them. You definitely did it when, if you're dating somebody or you're married to someone or you've ever thought somebody was really cool. At least in the first part of that relationship, you did that. You like pretended at least that you cared about what they were talking about. You were interested in the things they were interested in, even if you really weren't, because that's, that's what you do in a relationship. And people are willing to say, well, if it matters to you, it matters to me, and I'm willing to sacrifice some of my time and some of my money and some of my uh, attention because it matters to you, and I can clearly see that, and uh, so I'm going to try to fake it until maybe I will actually care about it. Maybe I won't. But I'm going to put your interests ahead of my... I'm going to treat you as well as I would want somebody to treat me in that situation. Man, last week I was at Schnooks in the parking lot, and it was just crowded. And I got in there and finally just realized I'm going to have to park at the back a lot, which I did. I just went in. I was fine. I could use the exercise anyway. I'm walking up. And just as I got out of my car, the front spot opens up. Somebody backs out. And a guy pulls up beside me. And this was awesome. He just rolls down his window. And he says, you want that spot up there? No, I don't. You take it. But thank you. That was really nice. No one has ever done that before. They're like, hey, let me get around you so I can get that spot. This was amazing. Like, thank you. That was a nice way to think about Christmas now. Well, what if we could all do that all the time? I would love for that to happen. Like, that would fix so many things that are wrong in the world if we just treated people like we would want to be treated. If we treated them in a way that says, I care about myself, but I also care about you. And it's kind of like, if we go back to Philippians 2, it's almost like Paul reads our minds and says, you know, I think that probably a lot of people who are reading my words are going to be going like, that's not the real world. That'd be awesome if people did this, but nobody actually does this in real life because everybody would be taken advantage of it. Nobody would keep it up. And Paul says, no, actually somebody has done this already. 
And that's where I say we, we looked at the example of Jesus. Humble people are simply following Jesus' example. I'm going to go back and read starting in verse um, 5 and just continue what Paul's thought was here. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And he, humbled, he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So this is the example of Jesus. Jesus was God, period. I don't know how you think of Jesus. Maybe you imagine that Jesus started existing on the day he was born in Bethlehem, but that's not really true. Jesus has always existed. Back in the beginning of all things, before the world was ever created, Jesus is already there. Jesus is God. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was actually the one who created the universe that we're in. He's the one who holds it together even now. So when Jesus was born, he was simply leaving heaven and becoming a human being, changed form, literally emptied himself of all of that power, all of that majesty that he experienced there as, as God. He became a little baby. That's the example we follow. Jesus did this. He put our needs and our stuff ahead of his own. He cared about what we needed more than he cared about himself. He treated what matters to us as if it mattered to him, because it did. And when you think about Jesus on earth, 30 years old, starts going around and preaching and teaching and talking about God's kingdom being here, any place Jesus ever walked in, he was literally the most important, most powerful person in the room. No question about it. When he walked in, everybody should have paid attention to him. But he never played the God card. Never walked in a place and said, just so you know, I'm, I'm God, so I'm going to need you to get out of my seat. Never happened. In fact, Jesus was very clear. I didn't come here so you all could serve me. I came here to serve you. I didn't come here so that I could condemn you. I came here to save you. And if anybody could have done any of those things, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't. And that's the example we follow. And Paul says that Jesus humbled himself so much that he was a servant. Nobody recognized him. Nobody went, oh, that guy, he must be God. He just looked like another person. So much so when you see Jesus going around in his ministry, people didn't look at him and go, that guy's amazing. They didn't, they, until he did a miracle, they just thought he was a normal guy. They didn't recognize that, wow, I just had a conversation with God himself. So I don't know if you've heard of the rock band U2. Ring any bells with anybody? You know, there's, there's Bono who wears the sunglasses, and then there's the guy who plays guitar. His, he goes by the moniker The Edge. Um, uh, there we go. There's Bono and The Edge. And he lives out in Los Angeles, and several years ago he took his, one of his kids trick-or-treating, and they were going out doing the, the Halloween thing, and they decided that they were going to dress up. The kid said, I want to dress up like you, Dad. So they both dressed up as The Edge for Halloween. So how cool is that that you're so famous? Like, if I go dressed as Brian Fakes, nobody cares. But, so, he, so the Edge, they, he and his son wear the leather jacket, the leather pants, the black beanie, carried guitars, and they went knocking on doors. I'm The Edge, and this is The Edge. And so the thing was, though, as they were leaving one house, as the door was closing, they heard the guy in the house go, oh, that's so pathetic. That guy doesn't look like The Edge at all. <laughs> I think so many people just didn't recognize that they were having a, an ex experience of God, and they just thought he was another guy. And that's how much Jesus humbled himself, that he allowed that to happen. You know, and just so many people completely missed that God is so humble that he's willing to be right there in your situation with you, right down in the pain and the dirt and the, the mess of our humanity. He was here. He experienced it all in every way except he did not sin. Everything else about life he experienced he emptied himself. And that's the attitude that he wants us to embrace. 
Christ decided to put aside what he rightfully deserved so that he could save us. And he didn't just say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you open your presence first. That's how gracious I am. It was bigger than that. He didn't say, okay, you tell your story, and then I'll just pretend like I'm bigger than that. He didn't say, you know what? You sleep in, and I'll get the kids today. It was bigger than all of those things. Jesus gave his own life for us. And he put himself in a place where he was misunderstood, and he was mistreated, and people said horrible things about him that were not true. And people treated him so horribly, and they arrested him, and they beat him, and they killed him. My gosh, all of those things that he allowed to happen to himself. Why? Because he's humble. He uses his rights and his privileges for us, not himself. And he's gentle. He restrained his power so that he could be a blessing to us. That's the Jesus that we sing about. That's the Jesus that we honor at Christmas. That's the reason we gather here. That's the thing that we do when we gather is to try to get everybody to Jesus because I can't change your life. I can't give you hope. I can't transform you, but Jesus can do all of those things. And so I would just ask you this morning, first of all, to think about this in the light of your own life. I'm not really concerned as much about what you've done as to where you go from here. From this point forward, can you turn with Jesus' help towards humility with the people around you? So much so that maybe even people start going, wow, where did this come from? This is like not you. I like it. To say, I'm really going to focus on you first and not always me. Can you make a change in your life that says, with God's help, I'm going to become a more humble person? Now, here's the cool thing, and I didn't read it, but Paul goes on and he says, this is what happened when Jesus humbled himself. It says that God himself exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And God is willing to do the same thing for you if you will humble yourself before him. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You don't have to exert yourself. God will do it for you. But the question I would have for you is, it's beyond just can you be a humble person. It's just can you humble yourself before God and allow him to lift you up? That's the struggle all of us have to submit our lives to God. But that's the only time we're going to find that our lives actually start to take on purpose and meaning. Jesus came to be our Lord, to be leader of our life. And then when we do that, he can become our Savior. So if this is something that God's working on in your heart, and we'd love to continue this conversation, in a moment, I'm going to pray for you and just continue to have a conversation with God. Just ask him, what is it you want me to do next? And let's talk about that, what the answer you get from him. Let me pray for you now. Father, I thank you that you, in so many ways, have showed your love for us. And now at Christmas, so many of us are thinking more about you and your place in our lives. I just thank you that we have Jesus, who has not only cared about us, but come to be one of us. And he humbled himself to die for us. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would see you clearly, and we would know how to respond to you and to say yes to the love you have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.